0: So um, this is the third evening of the of the retreat here, though one can recognise that whatever wherever we're at now, whatever we're experiencing now, this is the result of the of this being the third evening of the retreat, as well as many other things. As well as having been born, if we hadn't been born, we wouldn't be here. If we hadn't um, been born in this country, maybe we wouldn't be able to speak the language or understand what was going on. We'd probably be feeling very confused. If we'd have been practicing here for three weeks, then maybe our minds would be in a different state than they are now. So this is, this is the way it is at this time. And when one reflects around that, then we we no longer make this moment, and we don't longer judge ourselves by the experience of this moment. This moment is not self. It's the third day of the retreat, the third evening of the retreat. And for you, that may be different. It may be this is the, you know, the this particular day of your life the result of so many years of doing this, that and the other and so forth so what we can consider and what we need to reflect upon is that our experience of the moment is conditioned that is, it's not any kind of personal, ultimate, essential quality it's arisen it's the arisen, that which has been created, born originated, dependent upon circumstance upon being human, upon having sense consciousness upon uh, having a certain sense of inquiry and so forth and having practiced, say, meditation together for a couple of days some of you've been here for weeks, but we're looking. I can't make a a general statement. Just a, uh, picking one out of the hat, as it were, to give you an example of what reflection is around. Because this this teaching is a is a reflective teaching. It's not a it's not a, a doctrinal teaching, and it's not a statement um, saying things are. This is it. Things are this way. So much as saying that this is the w- this is the way it is. The way things are now is the way it is when we see them. But we're not actually stating what that is. We're not making any kind of abstract saying it's wonderful or it's horrible or it's uh, you know any kind of cosmology or anything any kind of reason for it. apart from to say it's this way, and then we can recognise that. The, the reasons are infinite or at least numerous. We can find all kinds of reasons for why it's this way, why it's the way it is for each of us now like this. I've said one of them is because we were born. Not many people think that, do they? When you, when you uh, knock over your when you, you knock over your cup of tea, You're being mindful, and you accidentally knock over your cup of tea in the in the dining hall. You probably think you're you're an idiot. You're not being mindful, or you know this, that, or the other. But you don't probably don't think it's because you were born that you knocked that over. But if you hadn't been born, you wouldn't do that. Having been born, this this is one of the the kind of things that happen to us. Because being born, we are we are born into a a sensory predicament where the uh, attention is constantly being pulled out by by thoughts, by emotions, by feelings, by objects of sight, sound, touch, taste. So it's a uh, it's remarkable that there's any any degree of attention or of clarity or of mindfulness. Now, what is a miracle that, again, one needs to consider is that somehow we're not just, uh, we're not just that which has been born and conditioned. There is this. There's also a knowing of that. There's also something, some quality that's able to, we say, reflect, contemplate, meditate, these kind of words. In other words, somehow there is a sort of separate or, or dissociated awareness that is able to see this. Now that is remarkable, you can't really explain that. You can explain uh, getting angry, getting annoyed, being depressed, falling over, uh, getting being confused, being happy, being sad, Those are all quite easy to explain in terms of of conditionality, because we were born, because we have senses, because there is such a thing as pleasure and pain, because there is such a thing as attraction and repulsion in in the sense consciousness, and that's true from everything from an amoeba up to an orangutan and 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 us. You put an amoeba on a plate of glass, and then you put a little blob of food in front of it, and go bloop bloop bloop. This way. And you put something like some caustic bleach there and it blop, blop blop goes the other way. Now when an amoeba does this we don't think it's kind of weak or chickening out or indulgent. We say oh that's that's the way it's supposed to be. It's a it's a sense sensory organism. They do that. Now when our, we like to think of ourselves a little different from an amoeba, I suppose. Somewhat higher, but actually on the sensory level, there's not a tremendous amount of difference between an amoeba and me. Oh, just as a, a sensory creature, I've got I've got five sense organs and a brain. Amoebas seem to be a little low on the number, but the quality of it is about the same. What they do, the Remarkable that the thing to to notice is that that there is this uh, observation, this contemplation of it. We can know that things change. Now this has to be done quite uh, consciously to to observe without thinking about but to observe and then when one observes that is when we actually directly experience something as it is, the flow of it, whether it's hardly bearable, joyous, confusing, wonderful, or whatever, then whatever it is as a sensory experience the reflective consciousness can can come up with this conclusion. Uh, it changes. It arises and passes away. Now the, the sense consciousness doesn't really do that. Notice that whatever Predicament, mood, feeling that is occurring in the, in the sense consciousness at this time. One feels very much that one is that. We have to cope with it if it's not pleasant. Deal with it. If, it if we don't like it, or worry about it. We make a personal quality out of it. Or if it's if it's good and pleasant, then we maybe we feel this is me. I've got it. And this is right, and and let's make this last as long as we can. This is the right place, the right situation. You know, I'm in good shape today. So that, whatever our position is, if we're not reflecting, if we're not mindful, we tend to make a personal statement and a permanent. I don't suppose we think it's going to last forever, but at least one feels that that somehow that is a fundamental state. So, of course, m- most of us experience the whole kaleidoscope of, of experiences and uh, states. But the myth of permanence is so lodged into the sense consciousness that whenever one of these arises, we say, oh, well, there it is again. We imagine we've got permanent hindrances that every now and then kind of break the surface like Moby Dick rising from the deep, and then you think, oh, it's that, here it comes again, I thought I'd got past that, and here it is again—the great white whale, great white doubt or fear or greed or whatever—rises. And then one thinks that all the time you're permanently carrying around these latent tendencies, like some kind of horrible simmering bag of, of defilements underneath the surface that anyone's going to pop out at any particular moment. And then you know, just when you think you've got rid of it. There it, it comes back again, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the meditation hall and sit for a while. The great white hindrance arises. And, and then you, you'll never get free of me. It's the sort of thing that makes you neurotic. And even, um, one can even be frightened to, to look anymore. Sometimes one go, kind of wants to throw the whole thing in because we think every time, you know, all those horrible feelings are going to come over me again. I walk around, you know, with, with underneath the, the lid of my mind there's this simmering pot full of, of defilements and hindrances that are permanently there all the time. And you never know when one of them is going to pop out and do these horrible things all over you. That's that's how strong I mean that that seems to be a fairly easy idea to to follow. Cause when we work from the sensory consciousness, that's that's the way that it that it works. That's the way that we conceive of things. Now you have to consider that apart from your five amoeboid faculties, you also have this, this brain thing, which is a really interesting sense organ, because the brain doesn't actually doesn't feed upon sight or sound or or tangible things, the brain feeds on the other five. The brain gets the messages in from the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and then it, it uses those as the raw material to create its own sensory information. And it stores and remembers and associates. Right now we can remember something we ate yesterday, we can remember somebody we saw five years ago and we can think about what we are going to do tomorrow so the, the, the brain has a whole new dimension to uh, the sensory predicament and uh, the fundamental one that it, create, that it makes is the idea of, of, of permanence and we can remember yesterday and we can think about tomorrow so, well, as long as one believes in that, and that as being a reality, you think, I, was, I was born you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, there will be a tomorrow. Yesterday I was here, and tomorrow I will, I will be there, so forth. There, there's some kind of permanent me. I had that, that thought yesterday, and tomorrow it might happen again that's the way that the, the brain conceives of things now when we directly experience uh, ourselves as we are we know that that memory is something created at this time at this moment, it's not actually yesterday is it? it's now and tomorrow isn't really tomorrow, it's, it's now tomorrow means I'm, I, the, the action of expecting, and yesterday means the action of of remembering, at this time. And they're not even very accurate, are they? You can't say that you you know that you read really remember everything that's ever happened, in some totally objective way, or that you can expect everything that's possibly going to happen. All we really can know is that we will, that this body will die. And that this body was born at one time. The rest of it is very much a a matter of opinion. Now, it's important to understand this in meditation practice on the spiritual path. Because the belief in this, in these relative these relative truths, can make us feel fatalistic, predetermined, locked into our ideas of what we are. At this moment, we can project ourselves into the future, very much in terms of the way that we are now. So, one needs to be able to to uh, reflect upon that or look at that as as thought as thought based upon uh, what we don't know based upon imagining based upon what is actually not here and now what we're not directly in contact with so when we reflect the one thing we can be certain of is that that all that certainty of the past and the future is in fact uncertain it's uh it's mind stuff it's mind created the memory of yesterday is not really yesterday the expectation of tomorrow is not really tomorrow at best it's a subjective projection when we're in a... a, a I noticed this myself When I, particularly when I was in, uh, in, in Thailand I'd remember being in England it seemed wonderful then when I was in, in, I was sitting in this hut in Thailand, feeling bored and fed up with everything. And uh, there, the, the weather was very pleasant, really, uh, very warm and sunny and bright. And as you probably know, England isn't renowned for those kind of conditions. And yet, when I remembered, when I was sitting in this hut in Thailand, remembering England, I thought. Those lovely misty days, those pleasant, soft tones of grey, so kind of refreshing on the eye, so kind of lovely, melancholy tone it gave the the gentle sound of the rain, pitter patter, the aroma of the city. Poignant tang of, of petrol smoke. You can even get nostalgic for the sewage. <laughs> the, you know, that the, the why does one remember? You know? Anyway, what is that memory about? And it's always you can see that to be in the present, there isn't any. There's nothing to hold at this time. There's no desire at this time. Like here now, there isn't any opportunity to have anything, or get rid of anything, become anything, avoid anything, or be anything. I mean, there isn't anything at this time. This time, there's the listening or the knowing, and so forth. But right now, there isn't any. Uh, always in the present moment, there isn't any. There's nothing that extends beyond that. So we we tend to the sense consciousness then, and the brain particularly, being the most uh, powerful and creative, creates ways and means of becoming, of avoiding, of of something to to desire, something to feel averse to, something to move around. There's a kind of hunger or a, a hankering after um, this. Form of existence to to remember something, so that we can feel, even if it makes us feel bad about the present moment, then at least uh, it's it's causing a buzz in the the sensory realm. We can think, oh, it wasn't it was this way. How nice it was, and and so forth. So you when you consider why, why does one remember when there isn't a need to remember? It's uh, it's that way, isn't it? Why do we plan so much? Have you found yourself planning yet? <laughs> planning the, when when the retreat ends. You found yourself planning, or say. Even in just in a day, maybe when you have your, the two hour, five until seven, do you find yourself, what should I do with that? Maybe I could read something, write something, go for a jog, do some exercise, have a rest, have a sleep, stand on my head, do some meditation. What should I do? Plan, plan, think, think, think. There's a, there's a possibility, isn't there, to plan something. Now, of course, this, these are just, this is just um, a situation, a kind of experimental situation, not saying that there's never any need to remember or plan anything, but why, when there really isn't any, do, do we find it so, so compulsive to do that? Why do we think so much, our minds kind of buzz and chatter away? Have you uh, considered that you know when one is say trying to meditate or uh, say stay with the breath or the body, It's not is not unpleasant, is it? But but all that whenever there is attention upon something, focusing upon something, then what we have we can't you can't really move towards it anymore. You can't desire it anymore, and uh, there's this inclination that we that uh, arises out of out of not knowing, out of not being with, out of not fully going towards or communing with the present moment. There's this ignoring a uh, forgetfulness, a uh, uh, half heartedness or, or a lack. And out of that ignoring, out of that not really knowing, not going into the way things actually are at this time there arises from, from what's called ignorance, there arises um, desire and so forth. Now it's not, none of this is a, a personal failing or foible or anybody's fault apart from the way that things are. When there's mindfulness, when there's attention, then we don't, this doesn't happen and when there's inattention, then it does happen. So the whole of the future and the past as perceptions in the mind arise through ignorance through through not really being attentive to the way things are and the ideas of what we are arise in the same way the, the, the abstract world the thing that we create comes from, from avijja, called not clearly being with the way things actually are at this time. Now we're using, say, meditation exercises for a number of means, mostly to, to slow down. And you know, just doing that, the, so that you're getting a chance to to relieve some of the, the rhythms of the Consciousness, to, to, to cool them, so that, they, that we can begin to um, contemplate, look at that, what our minds create, awaken to it, we say, awaken to the mind, to the way things actually are, by first of all juggling with uh, the way that we perceive things, not a terrible distortion. It's not like, uh, getting stoned or, or, um, you know, going into bhakti or something. It's, it's just fairly, fairly, um, sober stuff, contemplating the breath. It's just providing a frame of reference that, that tranquilizes and stabilizes the mind. So the consciousness assumes, or the mind becomes, becomes suffused with some of that, the quality of the object. Uh, uh, rhythm, repeated, steady, uh, and peaceful. No, no stress, no strain in breathing, it happens quite naturally by itself. And with the, the breath, when, when you've missed one, then you know that before very long there will be another one, so you don't have to feel uh, anxious, and nobody, nobody's checking out how many you got, so you don't have to feel like the, the, a failure or a success. All these things one can put aside. I mean, you know, so <laughs> how many you didn't get, or how many you did get, or <laughs> but then that's that's uh, that's up to you. How much of a judge you are, how much of a critic you are, <laughs> how uh, patient and tolerant you are. But actually, nobody else is making judgments of that nature. At least I'm not. But if you are, then consider this is not. This has never been advised or recommended as as an instruction or something to do. In fact, the the very opposite has been recommended. Uh, So, because you want to give every opportunity to to take to go into there is uh, uh, a calming of the consciousness and, and a clarifying of it without making any more ripples out of it and every time there is a new moment when you get it wrong we just begin again simple basic meditation instruction must have heard it a thousand times and the simpler and the clearer and the lighter that is done, that is much better you don't have to explain why it went wrong and or feel contrite about it or. or or whatever, you just stop, start again if the whole day has been a total and utter fog or a a complete mass of flaring rage and passion then whenever we recognize that that moment, when we recognize this is a complete fog or whatever, that's called a moment of mindfulness a moment of awakening and at that moment of awakening, we, we really encourage that moment of awakening and so that we don't blur that moment of awakening with a lot of criticism or judgment or, or uh, views and opinions. You say, very good, no. the last uh, five hours have been a complete and utter waste of time, fine, new moment, now we start. One breath, and then five hours later you think, oh, gone again. But you've got one breath. And the fact that you can get, you can actually step out of, out of the sensory world for one moment is remarkable. It's not built into nature. You don't see, uh, cows or pigs doing that, or amoeba that I've ever noticed. Amoebas meditating, or reflecting on what they're doing. They just, they are nature. So, instead of uh, the, uh, critical attitudes, there's this, we are making every opportunity to, to go to that which is tranquil. That's one aspect of meditation, which, because tranquility is, is pleasant, it's pleasing, it's a, it's a relief, and it's a good foundation for what is most important in meditation, which is, uh, the wisdom faculty, the insight faculty, the the reflective understanding. Now, this uh, is the, um, the the proper fruit, the the thing to really treasure, and in some ways, it's it's kind of subtle because there's no particular. Technique or any technique will do if you use it right. Though so it's not that special. And yet you can miss the whole point. It's quite easy to, to, to spend years meditating without ever having really reflected. And it's also quite possible to, to not spend years meditating and yet reflect very well. Some people quite have quite natural reflective capabilities, the natural detachment, ability to to observe. Because what we're reflecting on is the way experience comes to us, and in a meditation retreat situation, we perhaps we're making the the experience that comes to us subdued, refined, very controlled, in some way very definite. It's you know it's it's directed experiences. Um, in, a, in a very deliberate way where everybody is encouraged to, to, to try to go to this particular form of experience as a, as a means for reflection but actually um, once one has cultivated the reflective faculties then you can reflect off of, of, of anything really of just today for example how today was as a day That idea in the mind, how things move you, the 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 way the emotions work, or say when you 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 can you can contemplate like this, and all of these will uh, reflections will always point out certain. Characteristics about all, all existence, all sensory, uh, existence is that it's changing, it's flowing along, it's never resting still from one moment to the next. It doesn't belong to anybody, it's not mine, it's not yours, and there isn't anybody in it, it's not me. And by itself, it never, it, it can never fulfill us by itself the sensory experience is not a fulfilment one because the sensory experience is always a moving thing so you can never actually have it and the the sense organs work through desire and, or uh, attraction and repulsion so that as soon as you, whatever you've got you have to the sense consciousness will then create something else to want, won't it? And these, these are not necessarily the most gross kinds of desires, but we wake up in the morning, we want to feel fresh, we have a wash, we feel okay, maybe we do some exercise, we'd like to have a breath of fresh air, it's just this. The next, the next, the next, the next, the next, and we maybe we'd like to calm down, we calm down, we perhaps feel a bit bored with that, then we'd like to maybe, uh, be more vigorous then we get tired, then we get hungry, we eat something, we like to have a sleep, we get up, we like to do some exercise, then we like to calm down, like to be interested, read a book, watch the TV, have a rest, think about tomorrow, plan and remember, for a while, have a few worries and doubts, and and so forth. It's always this to the next, this to the next, this to the next, isn't it? Now it's not saying that, that this is necessarily miserable, because it doesn't have to be miserable when you don't expect it to be other than it is. When you don't place your home in it, then you, you actually make use of and, and use the, the sensory world as a place where you can uh, develop other qualities other than expecting, asking for, you can develop qualities of giving and sharing and loving and and compassionate qualities. Basically because we begin to realise oh, there's nothing here for me to get. So you know, why follow that habit at all? It's just that always feeling uh this hasn't been good enough or that was okay but now what? That constant feeling on and on and on so just that the very need to, to have and to accumulate, to own is something that we begin to see through contemplating the way things are as a as a habit to be just put aside and we can do that all of us can do that we are quite well endowed with the uh, possibility of sharing of giving, of a putting aside what we particularly want at this particular time, we can all refrain, we can all be patient, we can all wait, we can all abandon and go without, if we, if we see the value of it, if we see that this is, this is a way in which we can realize a freedom from need and restlessness and busyness. And when one is one who has freedom, then this this world is a place where we can uh, bestow blessings. When one doesn't have anything to get for oneself. So, um, someone who has seen this clearly we call someone whose life has been enlightened, it's been made totally light, burdenless, with no, no, no compulsion or, or intensity about it, it's become enlightened. And one whose life is enlightened, their life is spent in service, in, in, in giving, in compassion in caring because they have to in order to make themselves feel that they're doing the right thing or that um, they're they're approved of because there's nothing else to do to live out this life than to make use of this of this body and mind for the removal, for the seeing through ignorance, for the Uh, stabilizing for the the welfare of the human beings the human human predicament this is what we are born into we are all responsible for this having been born here with these reflective minds now if we don't cultivate that that way then our reflections become very disturbed when we reflect in terms of self there's always the, the reflections become very distorted there's the worry about what we might or could or should be we think about ourselves rather than reflect about ourselves and thinking about yourself is, is the, the path to depression. If you want to be depressed for the next seven minutes think about yourself <laughs> it probably won't take you that long actually if you want to really, you know, go into a total downer, take about seven minutes and start. Then I mean, you start off with the good things, but then you think, well, you know, now I'm being conceited, and after all, I didn't do that, and I should have done this, and and, and so forth. What's the point of my life? Am I really, you know, a responsible person? Am I doing enough for the third world, second world, and the fir- first world? The, the minorities. Am I proving myself? Am I asserting myself? Am I, a, you know, a fully developed man, woman? Am I a true American? Am I a Democrat? Am I a, you know, and all these things. You're not, not any of them. You're not good enough for any of them. This <laughs> is self consciousness. is like that, isn't it? Constant ability to be not good enough. Now, when you, if you make meditation a self-conscious habit, meditation is a total disaster, isn't it? I found that I could quite easily get depressed reading about meditation. Whenever I read a book about meditation, this was a clear sign of what I couldn't do. Well, how I wasn't good enough, in the book it said the yogi sits cross-legged, sets up mindfulness before him, and, uh, you know, then sub- subduing thought enters the first jhana. You know. So, like, five lines. <laughs> and then, what the yogi did was sat there, tried to get into full lotus, hurt his knee, <laughs> set up irritation in front of him, and entered first depression. <laughs> Read the book on meditation, entered second depression. Can't do it, so any of these instructions you have to you, you, they're not they're not doctrines they're not saying thou shalt be this, but thou thou shalt use it it's better thou, thou you should reflect on it, you should use what you have already instead of what happens when you do this, and then so that it's used for your awakening, not for your conditioning into an idea not to become a meditator as some kind of personal quality, but to use for awakening. When we say awakening, we begin to realise that with awakening that any experience is changing, impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. Meditation is unsatisfactory and not self, impermanent, isn't it? Mindfulness of the breathing is one of the most unsatisfactory, impermanent, occupations one can cultivate. <laughs> and it's unsatisfactoriness is not because it's 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 terribly painful, but because you can never really do it. You can never really, you know, switch it on and just and just be right there with it. It's always having to sustain, begin again, keep with it, spend hours fuzzed out or totally out of it, and then go through all that, that terrible process of doubt and depression and anxiety until and eventually you get tired of doing that and then you think, okay, well, first I'll get back to the breath again. But one can reduce it to just the, you don't have to make it the self-conscious suffering of, or that we create, just the, the average unattainable nature of sensory existence and then when we see it's this way, it's not completed, it's not perfect, it's not satisfactory, then we, and we know that's the way it is, and that's the way it all is. It's not anybody's fault, it's the way, the way it all is, then we, we are able to, to refrain or the mind no longer creates all these images and ideas of oneself. Now this is the the removal of not knowing, of of not seeing things, of not understanding things. So we say that with with mindfulness, you you're using the, these foundations for mindfulness because these are these these meditations are. Are situations and occasions where there is a openness of mind, faith, a sense of, of trust, a sense of inquiry and energy, a sense of effort, and these are found. These are catalysts for observation, for noticing. And then when we notice, we notice that the the object, the breath, for example, the moving to it the attitudes that rotate around that, the various self-conscious qualities that come up the wandering away the attitudes that arise around that, the bringing it back and so forth we we are mindful, we, we actually realize the mind in its fullness the way that it is, the way that it works so we begin to awaken to it and when you awaken to it you, you know that it is not there's no person there it's just the way that it works it's the way that it's conditioned and when one knows that there's no there's no delusion there's no hanging on to it there's no longer being there's no being trapped by it or believing in the kind of images that it, er, that arise as really being anything other than just conditioned phenomena ripples there's no ultimate truth in any of it there is no personal statement about that actually if you want to make any personal statements it would be perhaps more accurate to say that the only abiding quality the only really lasting thing that has been with you from the moment that you were born that that every experience you have ever had in your life whether it has been uh, pleasant, idiotic, brilliant, or whatever. you've been aware of it. Now, you know you you noticed it, didn't you? If you didn't notice it, you can't you you didn't have the experience. You say, well, I wasn't totally mindful. I didn't notice, say, the train going by. But if you didn't notice the train going by, then that, you didn't have that experience, that was not in your world. Uh, all, you've always had awareness, it's always been there, it always will be. If you're looking for some kind of permanent, lasting quality, we could say that. Except it's not really a quality, is it? it's not a thing, you can't, um, you can't grab it. You can't look at awareness. A, there just is awareness. It's not an object. So we can neither desire awareness. We can't gain awareness. We can't destroy awareness. We can't do anything with it. So because we can't do anything with it, we forget about it. We what we've become fascinated by and remember and mull over and think about constantly is all the things that we we try to get and can't quite get. All of the all of the Conventions, all of the unreal, impermanent things, are, and are the things that that strike us. Awareness never really um, strikes us, does it? The fact that you've been aware for every single moment of your life is, is so ordinary, so obvious, so totally unexciting that. Oh, You know, ten years ago I had this horrible experience. I got beat up in a taxi. I remember that it was ghastly. You know, it's ruined the rest of my life. I'm never going to take a taxi again. You know, I remember that. That was something. I've got this terrible fear about taxi cabs. Every time I see a taxi cab coming, I've got this memory come over me, and that's what I am now. You know. These things, which actually are impermanent and changing, there's nothing, there's no peculiar, uh, essential quality about any incident that's ever happened to you, are the things that we, we feel averse to or we desire. And, and that makes us feel alive, doesn't it? That kind of rhythm. We've associated that with what we are. This is called ignorance, because it's not what we are. It's what we, we have to contemplate or live with, but you can't say you are it. It comes and goes. What comes and goes can't be what you are, can it? There's no isness to it. It's a, a changing thing. Now it's a memory. So, we. mindfulness, called the part like, is noticing all of this. Noticing the way the senses are, and also the just a reflection around awareness, mindfulness, that when we are fully attentive to to the way things are, even the most uh, uninspiring, there's always this one is able to more fully realise awareness. Have you noticed that uh, that perhaps you listen? more no, nothing you know whatever's happening to you in, in retreat situations you feel somehow much more attentive attuned have you noticed that do you notice things like the, that sounds or small things colours are brighter and sensory impressions are stronger and clearer and there are times when you stop and you don't think and you don't want anything but you're not not that you're inert, but just there's something very bright or, or alive or vital there. And then, then you think, oh. Then maybe, maybe one starts to remember something or think about something else. Because that awareness is, 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 although it's, it's being, becoming stronger and clearer all the time, because it's, it's not an object there's nothing there in it we often don't take stock of that we don't really count what treasures we have mindfulness is the, the path to the deathless heedlessness is the path to death the mindful do not die the heedless are as if dead already this uh, Verses from the Dhammapada, uh, stanzas of the of the teaching of the truth. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. This path of awakening is called the path to the deathless. And what does this this mean? Now, these this is a speaking from the contemplative view, the direct experience, the, the mind that's looking directly at the way things are, is that we constantly, in the sensory consciousness, we're constantly noticing things coming and going, coming and going, beginning and ending. A visual impression arises, it passes away, a thought comes and it goes, uh, a sound comes and it goes. So, the disappearing, the endings, the death, the, the, the finishing of things, the birth and death is is the way that we assume is the way that we see our sensory experience and what we assume we are we assume we are the birth and death, that we are born and we will die now I've said that this, this body as far as I know dies, I haven't seen an eternal body yet no, we can we can know that, that. But this body is a sensory thing. It's not me. It's not mine. Now, one can say about all of these that they are they are death bound. But the awareness of the mind is not is not the body. When we're aware of the body, there's awareness of the body. When we're aware of thoughts, there's awareness of thoughts. When we're aware of anything, the awareness is a constant unchanging quality, it doesn't come and go. Sometimes we remember it and we forget it. But in how does it feel to you whenever you actually come to and you recognize where you are at? Isn't it rather like you've just come back? You you haven't kind of made anything, but when, whenever mindfulness arises in your mind, isn't it just like you've come back to the point Not that you've created something, but that you've stopped creating something. Something has ceased. That particular daydream or fantasy has stopped, and oh, here I am. Of course, that's what awakening is like. That isn't it? It's a realization of where you've always been, but you forgot, and you went off. You fell asleep. You got lost into something, and now you've come back home. So though our knowing or our appreciation of awareness is impermanent, the awareness itself is there to be recognized. It's right there. It doesn't change. It's not born and dying. And a life that's lived with awareness is a life that's free from this... this, um, the habits of death. When we don't understand the way things are, there's always a need to, to hold. We need to hold our world around us, we need to hold our, ourselves, our bodies, our minds, Particularly our ideas of ourselves. We need to hold those. And this need to hold extends to to needing to accumulate things, experiences, objects, this, that and the other, to feel held, to feel one is something we have grown used to holding. And yet we recognise with anxiety that everything we hold must pass away, so we hold other we hold more, more strongly. We try to forget. We hold on to hopes or beliefs. We hold on to, to things that maybe they will be more permanent, uh, life insurance, uh, savings, uh, bricks and mortar. Something that will, will really last. Because of this intuitive understanding that it won't so we, we tend to, this makes our lives anxious a desire for security on the physical plane and we become psychologically insecure anxious, restless needing needing to need you're not accumulating something, you're not, you don't feel alive, you're not getting anything, I'm not accumulating anything, I'm not managing to grasp anything, perhaps I'm not getting anything out of this. I haven't actually managed to get anything, anything permanent, anything solid. It's just all kind of vanishing and ephemeral. I want to think that something's going wrong. came here to get something, I'm not getting anything, I'm not getting... You know, things are just kind of breaking up all the time. It's it's a habit, isn't it, to assume and to look for things to hold. I haven't got a good opinion about myself. Oh dear. Didn't do so well today. Hold, hold, hold. This uh, the habit of of looking for permanence and security on the physical plane has made us psychologically very fragile why the middle way is one of not looking for any kind of permanence daring to, to allow things to be completely impermanent even our peace of mind our concentration our happiness our knowing, our clarity even very close things such as that most of us can put aside a a book, a house, a job for a while but to put aside even these these bastions of our self-identity is quite a challenge and yet whether we put them aside or not they tend to fall anyway this is the way it is now there is the possibility to, to either back off from that or to, to recognize this is the way it is and in, in that total insecurity there is a possibility for freedom freedom from having to need and to want and to defend and to become and to own and to possess and to struggle the freedom to be totally vulnerable totally insecure is in that insecurity, there's no more need. And when we've actually, you know, don't just consider as you meditate today or or uh, any time, it is that this is the way it is, isn't it? You're not deliberately trying to 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 make things change or impermanent. It's the way it is when you're no longer actually in a situation where you can really hold very much you're meditating on on something that's not very holdable it doesn't grasp It's, it's neutral it's not horrible, but it's neutral so on the neutral, the unbiased, the calm, the tranquil, the level the clearly looking at we see things are this way, they are insecure, they are impermanent now for those who wish to awaken to truth must pass through this gate and see that through this there is the possibility of of a a taste of freedom a taste of the deathless because whatever there's the knowing and when everything else is seen through we're left with what we are with the knowing there's our, our happiness or our unhappiness changes but there's the knowing no matter how lost one gets there's the knowing when you no longer create no longer uh, accumulate or destroy when you just level there's the knowing when you awaken when you remember there's the knowing sounds in the room, when they pass away there's the knowing, isn't there? you contemplate anything through from its birth, its origin to its cessation you're left with the knowing it's just the listening, the knowing, the attending something arises, something passes away there's the knowing and the, the knowing, if, if you investigate that go into that surrender into that is boundless is is totally peaceful is, is fearless and free then we have the possibility of approaching our lives our possibilities for this this body and mind for this personality as it is the way it is from a position of enlightenment from a light unbiased totally understanding, compassionate position what what can we do with this? what is the right path for this being? what is it that that stays with the truth? it's a path of, of not grasping, of not seeking, of not demanding, isn't it? it's a path of, of a, a constant uh, openness and sharing where we can feel compassion, tolerance, kindness and sympathy for the world and others and from that then we all have to make use of what occasions come to us so a reflective teaching of of the Dhamma is the missing link, if you like the place where we can all go to not all of us uh, we're not all particularly gifted at this or at that, but where we what we can all go to, the place where we can all merge and meet, where we can all find comfort and refreshment and awakeness is in just this where all of our experiences come and go to into the deathless. So, in this retreat situation um, you make use of, of meditation exercises make use of what the situation affords in terms of stillness in terms of trust, in terms of offering oneself and looking anew, putting aside the preconceptions having the confidence to just stay with it and then see what you are left with what is the only thing that you can finally come back to, be with that you can finally go away with and that you realize you already came with so I offer this for your reflection tonight